This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, today we are talking about a topic that is long overdue to address on this show. Now, this is about food safety. And as many of you know, we've recently launched the Berry Smart platform that helps us address and cover this topic, along with sustainability and technology and innovation. So in a follow-up to our recent episode with Paul and Noel on technology, this is going to be a nice segue into food safety, our discussion for today, and its relationship to our work here at USHBC. So because this is Barry Smart and because she is very smart and also responsible for the Barry Smart platform and program, Amanda Griffin, our VP of Industry Engagement and Education, will be joining me today with our discussion with our special guest and expert in this area. Amanda is leading our Barry Smart platform and helping us better address and provide leadership and resources in these important areas for our industry. Amanda has successfully recruited today's guest not only to come onto the show and talk food safety, but to also work with the USHBC on developing this part of our Very Smart platform. Thanks, Casey. So as you mentioned, we have a wonderful guest with us today, and I can think of nobody better to dive into the Very Smart food safety platform than... Dr. Jennifer McIntyre. So as many of you know, listening to this podcast, Jennifer most recently served as the Chief Food Safety and Regulatory Officer at the International Fresh Produce Association. So in her more than 20 years in the industry, she has become one of the most highly respected leaders in food safety, providing insights and guidance to member companies, regulatory partners, and policymakers, and members of the media. And now she's here with us with her own company as founder of Food Safety Strategies. So I am super excited, both personally and professionally, to bring Jennifer to this uh, stage today. Amanda and Casey, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's going to be a great discussion. Jennifer, thank you for joining us on the business of blueberries. As we mentioned, you know, you just left the International Fresh Produce Association after nearly seven years with them. Maybe you could briefly talk about your time there, the experience that was for you, and maybe a little bit of reflection about, you know, what important milestones or accomplishments for the produce industry that you experienced while you were there. So I joined the United Fresh Produce Association, one of the predecessor associations to IFPA, but it was really exciting and a very exciting time, I thought, to be joining the produce industry in an association role at United Fresh. FISMA had passed, the rules were in varying stages of development and implementation, the science and technology around foodborne illness investigations, detection was changing, and it was clear to me that the produce industry could find itself in a vulnerable position and felt that I had some experience that I could bring to support the industry, and really I was just curious and wanted to learn. 
I, I learned a lot, met a lot of wonderful people, really loved the produce industry and stayed with the association through the evolution to the International Fresh Produce Association. Uh, but after about seven years and for a number of reasons, personal and professional, felt that it was time to make a change, try something new. And so I have launched my own food safety consulting firm. It's been a couple of months now and things have gone pretty well. And I continue to meet new people and learn new things. So it's really exciting. I know in full disclosure, and certainly for our audience who's listening to the podcast, but can't see Amanda's face when she's uh, smiling about the history at United Fresh that you're describing, your working relationship, both of you at United Fresh. So I know, Amanda, you've probably got stories to tell. No stories at all, Casey. But you're right. There is a history there. And, you know, it has been really fun to work alongside Jennifer when we were in that United Fresh space within the food safety side of things. I got to watch her expand her team, grow all of her education offerings, and really I learned a lot. We would do brown bag lunches at United Fresh where the staff had the opportunity to learn about all that Jen's team was working on. And so it was eye-opening to me. And so obviously coming over to Blueberries, when Casey, you and I started building out with the industry, sort of what the Berry Smart platform was going to look like and how we needed that arm within food safety so that we can better support the industry and provide those resources within the food safety space, timing just aligned. I did not know what was going on in Dr. McIntyre's life, but the fact that we were able to really sync up and talk through how we can coordinate the efforts and to really bring a concerted effort within the food safety space to the blueberry industry, it was a no-brainer. So I am, as you said and revealed to the audience, my smile will go on for days that we have this opportunity to work with Dr. McIntyre and really hone in on you know, what we're going to talk about with providing to the blueberry side of things. Awesome. All right. Well, this topic of food safety is super important for us here at USHBC, and I want to discuss and unpack a little bit as we get into our discussion about the Very Smart Platform. But before we do get into all that, it's time for our crop report. We have regions throughout North America harvesting every week this time of year. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear a special extended version from Luis Vegas in Peru, then also crop reports from TJ Hafner in Oregon, Jason Smith in British Columbia, and Mario Ramirez in Mexico. This was recorded on August 23rd, 2023. Hello, all. this is uh, Luis from Peru, and I'm happy to be here to give you a report of how the blueberry season is unfolding in Peru. We are living something totally unexpected at the beginning of the year, right? So uh, Peru has been growing in volume. It's no news to anybody. Uh, rapidly over the past years. And at the beginning of the year, the expectation was that the volume was continued to grow, right? But because of the a typical weather that we're living right now, the volumes are actually below what we shipped last year, right? How is the weather affecting blueberries in Peru? Well, because of El Nino phenomenon, the weather is above average, right? So basically, if you take the average temperature in Peru, you know, mainly in the coastline of the past 25 years, right? Today, no, this year, the average weather is 
uh, above by four to five degrees Celsius, right? Sorry, I don't have the Fahrenheit translation, but four and five degrees Celsius above average, right? And this is an issue because uh, during the night, the temperature is not dropping to the level that blueberries need to grow. And this is affecting some varieties more than others, right? But in our case, it's affecting mainly the variety that is more common in Peru, that is called Ventura. I don't know if you have heard about Ventura, but it's the most common variety in Peru, followed by Biloxi. And Ventura is being specifically affected by this warmer weather, right? So if you go now to the fields, you are not going to see many blueberries from Ventura. You're going to see the plants, they're big plants, but you don't see the flowers, you don't see the fruit. And that's the main reason why our volumes have been dropping. So as of today, the volume shift from the start of our season, which we account for the start of our season in May, until April next year, Peru ships blueberries all year round. However, our season really concentrates during the months of September, October, November. That's where we ship more than half of all the volume from all the year. So up until the end of uh, last week, Peru has shipped, compared to the previous season, we have shipped to the U.S. 50% less volume to the U.S. And our expectations of what we can see, right? We cannot see what's going to happen in December. It's, it's still too far away to really know if we're going to have more rains, if the weather is going to be colder or not, right? But what we can see over the next couple of weeks is that we expect the volume to be around 40% below what we shipped last year, at least until October. And then what happens in November, December, January, it's, well... One thing that could happen is that this Ventura variety, and other varieties as well, but mainly Ventura, it's having this delay in its production. If it recovers, we might see more volume over that part of the year, right? November, December, and our and, and the total volume of this season shouldn't be below too much compared to the last season. It's going to be below last season for sure, right? The question is how much below. That's like a bit more optimistic view. And the other is that Ventura is not going to recover and that we are going to maintain this 40% below last season in volume shift until the end of the season. As of now, what I can tell you is that until October, we expect 40% less volume from Peru globally. To the US, it has been 50% less volume until this last week. Until October, that's what we expect. And in November, December, we'll see. I'm going to be joining the crop calls uh, to try to, to inform the market, to inform you guys so that you can make the wiser decisions. But just so that you can take a, one general idea with you is Peru, uh, the volume is down significantly because of the atypical weather that is warmer than usual. That's affecting our production, right? And just to, to end my my participation, it's there are other like Ventura, it's really sensitive to this atypical weather, but there are other varieties that really are responding pretty pretty good. And that those are the varieties that we are shipping right now. There are varieties that are not being affected significantly by the weather, and that's the varieties that are being shipped. So 
uh, that's what I can like what I can tell you regarding our season so far. And it's it's a challenge. So we, right now we are in winter, but actually it feels like summer in Peru. The temperature in the ocean is warm, like summer, and rain starts here in September, right? So spring is around the corner. So some say, hey, the the, the world's not gonna get cooler any moment because now spring is two weeks is gonna be spring. Uh, we could expect that the volumes are gonna. Uh, some say that the volumes should continue like. 30, 40% below last year until the end of the season. But we'll see. Others think that the volume is going to come back, you know, you would say by the end of the year, November, December. Luis, what percent of the blueberry acres are that variety Ventura, would you say? In yeah, uh, 40%. So 40%, 40% of the Peruvian production, like actually Ventura, it's like 35% the acreage. But Ventura is a really productive variety, so it account. It's been accounting historical historically for about forty percent of our ship Ventura. I've been uh, visiting different farms last week, and uh, the farms with Ventura, you, there was like very little fruit, very little fruit, and that's because of the lack of this colder weather during the night. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes, I, what this is gonna I think this is gonna in Peru. You are already seeing uh, farms changing varieties into new varieties, right? Like you have sequoias, sequoia pop, sequoia beauty. Uh, mm-hmm. Those varieties really look great. I've been in the fields and wow, I was impressed by how, with what I saw of these varieties. You know, it's like the future. I've heard about other varieties as well from other nurseries, Oz, Blue, Planasa, that are also performing well, given these conditions. But in Peru, the two main varieties are Ventura and Biloxi. Both are being affected, right? Ventura more than Biloxi. And what I was wanted to say is that this is going to, I would say, accelerate the variety replacements of Ventura this year. And yeah, it's a really unique year. You know, at the beginning of the year, when we did a, like a really macro forecast it was like peru should grow this year like 15 percent more or less it's a big number because we, it's a big volume but now uh, we're way below last year right and this unexpected weather has really impacted significantly you know ventura and other varieties uh, mainly the the more traditional varieties i would say are being are are being impacted by by this weather. So the Peruvian season started in week 18, which is in May, and since May until the end of week 33, Peru has shipped a total of 50.5 million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide, which is an amount that actually represents a drop in volume of 31% compared to the volume shipped over the same period last season. From the volume shipped, 39% has been sent to the US, 29% to Europe, 23% to China, and 8% to other destinations. Also, from the total volume shipped, 10% have been of organic blueberries, which have been sent mainly to the US. Now, getting into what happened in week 33, well, Peru has shipped a total of 8.8 
million pounds worldwide, which actually represents a drop of approximately 60% versus the volume shipped during the same week last year. From this volume, 44% has been shipped to the US with approximately 3.9 million pounds of fresh blueberries, which are expected to arrive at the US market during the second and third week of September. 30% of the volume shipped during week 33 has been sent to Europe, 21% to China, and 5% to other destinations, including Saudi Arabia, Brazil, Canada, Colombia, Costa Rica, Dubai, El Salvador, Hong Kong, India, Israel, Panama, Singapore, Thailand, and Taiwan. So that's a report from Peru until the end of week 33. Thank you. So this is TJ Hafner doing the crop report for Oregon. High temperatures this past week have been in the mid 80s to low 90s. Forecast through the end of the week is more of the same. Fruit came through the 100 plus degree temperatures better than we had anticipated. We're still sending some last call and some rabbit eye in for fresh packing. We stopped sending Aurora for fresh, but I think there are still growers here in the Lent Valley that are handpicking this variety that are making it work for fresh. Cleanup passes are being made in Liberty and Legacy still. Pest pressure remains low. The fresh market for both conventional and organic are pretty strong with packers saying they need more. I heard from a Peruvian grower yesterday that they're running about six weeks behind normal down there and don't expect volumes to be any more uh, than last year and possibly less. I think last week I had said I had expected the Oregon volume to be down 15 to 20% off of the 165 million pounds forecasted. I'm going to adjust that up a little bit to, well, down, I guess, depending on how you looked at it, uh, 20 to 25% below what we forecasted of that 165 million pounds. And that's really primarily due to just undersized fruit. So that is it for my report. Hi, this is Jason Smith reporting for uh, British Columbia. We experienced some pretty hot temperatures a number of days ago. The fruit seems to have come through that that heat. I haven't seen too much damage myself or heard of it. There is a little bit, but uh, it's pretty minimal from what I've heard. And the last few days, we've been uh, experiencing cooler weather, which is much welcomed some predictions of possible rain but uh nothing nothing actually really happened and uh neck looks like next week we might get some rain but the main thing is the last four or five days uh the fraser valley has been extremely uh smoky and uh it's you know the quality of the air has been very very poor so i know um in some areas of the the province they're they're certainly taking extra breaks and and some workers are wearing masks uh to filter out the filter out the smoke it's pretty bad from all the wildfires up country but uh it has cleared up late in the day yesterday and today is much clearer so that's that's a positive pest and disease pressure remains fairly low quality seems quite good late season varieties are just starting or getting close to starting some of the mid lates like uh some of the fields of calypso are probably uh near near the end and stuff and probably liberty is getting there as well 
I'm going to keep our numbers the same as I've been reporting at the 110 million, 60 fresh, 50 process. And that's my crop report. Hi everyone, here Mario with the Mexican Blueberries Report for week 33 from August 13 to August 19. During week 33, Mexico exported a total of 93,000 pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide and 90,000 pounds were to United States and Canada. From that volume, 11% was organic blueberries. It is 10,000 pounds. The total exported volume grows 28% respecting previous week, but we keep with pretty low volumes until November. This week, Mexico exported 45% more volume respecting previous week. For frozen blueberries, the total volume was 75,000 pounds, and this volume represents only 3% of the total United States importation of frozen blueberries for week 33. In weather, Hillary lands on several production regions in Mexico, but there are no affectations reported. There are just some water loggings and affectations in plastics, but the plantations and tunnels wasn't affected by the storms. That's all in my report. Thank you very much. See you next week. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website at ushbc.org forward slash data to find all of our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry, uh, which is interesting, right? Because we're talking about what more resources we're going to be providing in food safety. So well, we seemingly, Dr. McIntyre, share with our audience every week to go to our data and insights because everybody's always wanting to track that crop report. I think our vision for our work with you and certainly to be kind of that center of excellence for thinking about the big picture for food safety is this callback to what a resource USHBC could be online and, and more more specifically as a resource uh, from our organization to the industry. So I'm going to turn it over to Amanda. I know, Amanda, you know, we've been talking a lot about this in terms of the way in which we might up our game in the area of food safety on behalf of the industry. But maybe you want to talk a little bit about how you see the vision forward with Dr. McIntyre. Yes, Casey, that's right. So from a high level, this very smart food safety platform, really we see a need to create and provide resources for growers, for marketers, and, and quite frankly, across the entire usage span of blueberries. So even into the frozen side and different resources that we can have initially housed within a certain website landing page that is really the home base for resources that folks will need to stay ahead of food safety and to plan accordingly. And that's why we have Dr. McIntyre here because she is the expert in figuring out exactly what is needed within a resource space to be able to create a very more meaningful hub of food safety resources. And so that's the first step. But then we hope in a long-term plan that we can also curate and create our own food safety resources for the blueberry industry that may not currently exist at the moment. And actually, I will let Jennifer, who has been in the planning calls with me, chime in a little bit more so too on that high-level plan that we've we've sort of ironed out on the, the blueberry side. Sure. You know, first, I, I commend you. I think it's really progressive of USHBC and the blueberry industry to embrace food safety and to make food safety efforts, collating resources, evaluating resources when you don't have that track record of issues that some other commodities unfortunately do have. Most 
companies, most industries are reactive. It's after something bad has happened that they're like, oh, you know, now we need to find resources and look for things. So to do that beforehand, to try to keep the industry protected is absolutely the right way to go. That said, there's not a ton right now that is blueberry specific. There's a little bit here and there, but blueberries have not been the major focus of most food safety research and most food safety regulation. So the approach that we're going to take, and Amanda, I think you described it well, that it's really two steps, at least two steps. That first step is leveraging the work that other people have done, looking at what is out there, what are the things that the blueberry industry can learn from, draw from, apply and we'll be looking at all types of resources. We'll bucket them. And I look forward, Amanda and Casey, to working with a subset of your members, those who are involved in food safety, to make sure that we categorize things the right way in a logical fashion, help people find the resources that they're looking for, whether they're regulatory from the food safety side, whether they're research oriented, whether they apply more directly to the growing harvesting side of things, the IQF frozen further processing side of things. So we'll have some categorization, but also in working with the web team, it sounds like there's an opportunity to use some descriptors that really do help people find things, even even if they're not looking in that right bucket. So it should be a pretty expeditious process. But I feel that based on the work that I've done in various parts of the fresh produce industry and the broader food industry, I have a pretty good awareness of what's out there and what I think would be helpful to the blueberry industry. So we can pull that together very quickly. At the point that we see where there are gaps, uh, where are there things that are maybe unique to blueberry production, to the growing harvesting processing that have not been addressed in existing work, then we can see, is it appropriate for USHBC to take the lead to develop some new content for members, or are there other ways of doing things? But that's a little bit further down the line. Well, I think it's an important distinction, too, that you're making about, you know, our role versus I think, you know, you mentioned that there are a lot of people in our industry and blueberries in particular who are in that food safety space uh, working for companies who have to have somebody responsible for food safety. So maybe you could describe from your vantage point, looking at our organization in relationship to those other companies who have food safety professionals on staff. Where do you see the differentiation of responsibility for an organization like ours to be working on behalf of an entire industry versus those professionals who are responsible for their company's food safety? That's a great question. And having worked for associations, I know the struggle sometimes in trying to build consensus, find common ground when individual companies have different resources, different needs, different risk tolerances. And so where do you draw the line and where are you overstepping bounds as the association? So I think that if you're representing the blueberry industry and recognize that consumers want to have confidence in blueberries and they may not be as attentive to brands, you need to be able to protect the commodity, the category. And there, I think having a, a baseline and providing a, an appropriate level of support to your members, big and small, well-resourced and 
maybe not as well resourced, think that that's the right role for an organization like yours. Then it's up to each individual company in consultation with their food safety experts on staff, any outside consultants that they use, others within within the company to decide how do they want to implement things? What is that execution going to look like? That's not the role of uh, an association of an organization that represents the industry. That's a company by company decision. But I think that you as an organization would be well served by making sure that your members have the appropriate awareness of food safety issues and have access to resources. You can lead the horse to water, you can't make them drink, but providing those resources, I, I think, is definitely the right step for USHBC. Well, and I think the time, you know, as we think about the Very Smart platform, Amanda, is, you know, where there are a lot of changes taking place uh, in our industry right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, new investments, new plantings, new farms. So where, where does that standard bearer stand in relationship to what the expectation is? Because as you said, Dr. McIntyre, it's, it is, it isn't been our issue, knock on wood, that it has been for other commodities. And so I think a large part of this industry is kind of expecting that track record to continue. And I think Barry Smart certainly helps to, you know, attract people, not just in the area of food safety, but the other areas that it represents to make it a best in class sort of a service. So you know, from your perspective, as you look at where maybe blueberries stands in the spectrum of say, food safety protocols, you know, at the grower level, you know, do you have any sort of sense or assessment on where we fit today? Gee, not a loaded question at all. We've acknowledged that there haven't been issues to the extent that we've seen them in other commodities, but past performance is no guarantee of future results. Anybody can mess up things change, our detection methods change. Uh, so I think some of the other commodities that have experienced issues, it's quite possible that those issues had been in existence for some time and just were under the radar. And suddenly they were on the radar. So I'm not saying that that is the case for blueberries. I sure hope it's not. There are some, you know, just physical attributes of blueberries. And then the way that blueberries are grown that probably influence and help reduce risk compared to the way that some other fresh produce items are grown and even the way that some other berries are grown. But how do you take that risk into account? How does one start to think about risk and where there may be opportunities for things to go wrong, especially as we see changes in mechanization, we see changes in the way that the ways that things are being grown. We see changes in climate. These are things that influence food safety risk. And so growers of blueberries and really other items may encounter situations that they've simply not faced before. So the best thing I think we can do is teach people how to think about food safety risks, how to have an awareness and be able to make uh, informed decisions when environments do change, when things are changing, and at least have that ability to ask the question, is this changing my food safety risk profile? To at least keep food safety part of the conversation and not allow for a complacency and just say, oh, we're blueberries. We're great. These issues don't, don't affect us. We haven't had problems. That's somebody else's problem. That's where people tend to get in trouble. Yeah. So, Dr. McIntyre, as you know, USHBC isn't all fresh, and I know we've had multiple conversations about this. So how do you incorporate 
the risk involved with frozen and IQF blueberries specifically? So frozen blueberries and other berries have been subject to inquiries from time to time, and really into a couple of different areas. And there, having a fundamental understanding of what the organisms are, because a lot of the issues are microbiological, though not exclusively. There's also pesticide issues and to a limited extent, some physical hazard issues too. But uh, on the micro side, if you understand where the organisms come from, that helps you with that detective work in trying to figure out if you might have an issue in your facility, in your IQF facility. Listeria has been the one that has been kind of top of mind for IQF and doesn't seem to discriminate in terms of the type of IQF product, whether it's blueberries or something else that's going through that type of operation. So getting a fundamental just understanding of why it's there then helps you figure out how to get rid of it or how to prevent it from taking up residence in your operation. Some of the other issues are often inherited by frozen or other uh, processors, other types of uses. So they may be issues that occur on a farm and for whatever reason, uh, maybe that that crop, it isn't widely distributed in the U.S. where we have systems that pick up illness, but it is a supplier issue that you inherit becomes your issue, becomes associated with your product. So then, you know, thinking about what do I know about my supplier? What do I know about their practices uh, is another opportunity that one should take advantage of. You could have people in any stage of the industry at any type of operation, just make an error, whether it's because they weren't attentive, they weren't aware, they weren't well-trained, or a system just broke down. And so again, thinking through for your type of operation, what's your greatest risk can help one prioritize resources so that, uh, again, there's not just the assumption that I'm not a grower, therefore I have zero food safety risk. I don't need to be worried. This is a, a growing issue. Anybody can really critically evaluate their practices and processes and make sure that they are tidied up. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that I know you are well-versed in on the food safety side are the, the regulations. And I know you've done a lot of work in that space. So what would you say are some of the changing food safety regulations that we as an industry need to be aware of? Oh, boy. There has been a lot of regulatory change over the past decade, for sure. And there continue to be changes in the interpretation and the application of some of those regulations. So even once the regulation is established, the way it's applied may continue to change. I'll start at the growing side. We have the produce safety rule that's been in effect now for several years, but the ag water component of it is is not finalized. And so... That's something that the blueberry industry will want to keep an eye on to understand how ag water will be expected to be managed, will be required to be managed, whether those blueberries are grown in the United States or outside of the United States and are going to be imported uh, for consumption as fresh. If the berries are subject to further processing, then there's a whole different set of regulations that apply, depending on whether that processing is a kill step or not. So it gets a little bit complicated and nuanced, but I think ag water is the one that's kind of still a little bit up in the air. A regulation that 
at this point in time does not affect blueberries in any form is the traceability regulation. There are many produce items that will be subject to that regulation, but not blueberries. But a question in everybody's mind is, will buyers have an expectation that all types of foods meet this standard, not just the foods that FDA has identified as being subject to the rule. So anyone in the blueberry supply chain would be well advised to just keep an eye on what's being asked of other types of produce and some other types of food products that have been associated with outbreaks and recalls. And so that's one of those odd intersections between the regulation and then you know a, a private industry expectation. Those are the biggest ones, but there are many others. Foreign supplier verification program is one where if you are bringing product, whether it's fresh or processed into the United States, there are some very specific requirements. And that's caught some members of the, the broader food system off guard uh, as they've been inspected to that regulation because it does differ a good bit from the historical audit expectations for supplier management. So you're describing that, you know, for those who were following under domestic regulations, they didn't realize bringing fruit in was going to create a higher standard than what they had previously understood. Yeah. And, and there may be, and in many cases, a company is subject to multiple regulations. So they may be subject to the produce safety rule if they're a grower, but then if they're also importing, even if it's from their own farms outside of the United States, they are considered an importer and subject to this additional regulation in terms of how they're going to verify those farms outside the U.S. again, even if it's theirs. But still, from a regulatory standpoint, there is a a new requirement, new-ish requirement. Well, and it's a big job. And I think that's part of the challenge you described in terms of scalability. There's just so much food safety, you know, runs a huge gamut. I think that's what I like most about this conversation of kind of narrowing it down to a, a very specific audience of people who want to protect a track record. Uh, really looking forward to seeing how this very smart project for food safety comes together with you, Dr. McIntyre, and certainly uh, with Amanda's leadership. But this has been a great conversation. And uh, Dr. McIntyre, just in, before we kind of land this conversational plane, is there anything else that we should discuss before we let you go? I think the wonderful role that an organization like USHBC can play in providing a network uh, camaraderie for produce safety professionals, because for many companies, especially at smaller companies, there's not a deep bench. It's one person that I think having that network to connect with each other, to connect with your peers is so incredibly important for everybody in any discipline, but especially in food safety. And so I appreciate, Amanda, you mentioning the task force. And I think that USHBC being a network for each other is uh, going to be hugely advan advantageous. Well, and I think to your point about you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? And so as you allow for that grouped network and, and for the, the newcomers or the new companies or people who just are getting into this game of, of supplying food to a consuming public, you know, I don't think food safety should be seen as a competitive advantage where there needs to be at least a baseline understanding, especially for blueberries that has a great track record of food safety on what the expectation is. And that should be something we all support. 
you know, again, this is a space we've been in. Um, but again, you, Dr. McIntyre, Amanda, you guys are going to be raising that bar. I'm really excited for it. I'm excited to see the work come together uh, in the Barry Smout platform. Amanda, anything else we should add before we go? No, but be on the lookout. The uh, We hope to launch the platform by fall of this year. So we will be moving and grooving and uh, getting this stuff put together so we can at least get phase one underway. All right. Well, so that's it. Uh, stay tuned. This is going to be something to watch. And certainly if you're thinking about joining us in Savannah, some more you can learn. So we're looking forward to seeing everybody there. But thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on the business of blueberries.